So growing up, I loved bedtime story time. I love getting to pick a book like One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, or The Little Engine That Could, or that one with hundreds of cats, thousands of cats, millions and billions and trillions of cats. But even better than books was when my mom would tell us a story about when she was a kid. There were stories about her adventures, like learning to ride bareback, the thrill of the first time bareback, she, her horse leapt over a stream, or the time that she was camping with her best friend and in the middle of the night outside their tent, they heard, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that sniffing, but it was a bear. And we took life lessons from those stories, like how trying really hard to learn something is worth it, how having candy in your tent when there are bears around is a really bad idea, <laughs> or lessons about how to think quickly on your feet in crises, like, you know, throw the candy out of the tent and give it to the bear. So in Matthew's Gospel, we're in the middle of a whole series of Jesus's stories parables that he's telling his father followers. And what's interesting about his stories is that the lessons aren't always as obvious as the lessons sort of embedded in my mom's stories as a kid. Jesus's parables invite us into a deeper understanding about God, but they don't really map out as allegories like this is God, this is us, and therefore blah blah the challenge of Jesus's stories is that we're invited to enter in the images and enter into the narrative arcs, but to let the spirit guide our hearts and our minds and our imaginations. And that's something we need to do in a very layered way, bringing in our contemporary context, but also the historical context. A little bit of what was it like for Jesus's hear hearers to hear these stories in the first century. We also need to let go of the impulse to impose simplistic interpretations or the impulse that is so near and dear to my heart of making everything nice. Because Jesus's parables are provocative, they're unsettling, and they're uncomfortable. And the invitation is to enter that discomfort and crack ourselves open to really listen to the challenges and this isn't easy, and Jesus knows it because he even says flat out at the end of today's parable, let anyone with ears listen. There's a big exclamation point at the end, listen. And that's the exact same thing he said at the end of last Sunday's parable, let anyone with ears listen. So Jesus's story this morning, the parable this morning is the second of a whole series about the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God. And in ours today, Matthew's gospel, we have someone sowing good seed in a field and an enemy sneaking in and sowing weeds among the wheat. And then the farmer, the sower, telling the workers, don't remove the weeds. He says, let them grow together until the harvest. And he says that if, if you uproot them, you'll damage the wheat. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense if you're a gardener. And at the end, in Matthew's gospel, we get an interpretation of this parable and the declaration that there will be 
in that final harvest, a weeping and gnashing of teeth as the weeds are thrown and separated out and thrown into the furnace. Yuck. That's not nice, nice. So how do we enter in this story and see it as a teaching about God's kingdom? And first, I think we need to realize that this is just one of a whole buffet of kingdom parables in chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel. And some great homework this week, if you'd like some homework, would be to read the whole chapter. Because in addition to be the kingdom being compared to a sower sowing good seeds, the kingdom's compared to a mustard seed growing into a tree, or yeast that a woman mixes in with flour or treasure in a field, or a merchant finding a pearl. And this whole smorgasbord of stories points at how Serene Jones, who's the president of Union Seminary, how she describes God. God is a divine reality that is greater and more wonderful than we can begin to imagine. And that in this reality, we find our ultimate destiny, the purpose of our existence, which is love greater reality of divine love, a here and now reality, but a reality that, as seen through the parables, is also a reality amidst the mess of this world. Reality of God's love exists as both a, an end of, in the end reality, when everything com comes to complete fullness and all-encompassing liberation and love, but it's also a reality breaking into the world now. So where are we with the sower in the field where wheat and weeds are growing together and where weeding would uproot and harm the wheat? I see a field sown in love, sown of good seeds created in love, yet it's a field in which evil exists. That's pretty realistic portrayal of the world. And the evil that exists is not evil that was planted by the sower. It's not organic to the field. In Hebrew, the word for weeds that we have in English isn't a generic term, but it refers to a specific kind of weed, a darnel. And in farmers in Jesus's time would know what dar that darnels look a lot like wheat. The weeds described in the scripture look so much like weed, it'd be really hard to tell them apart. So to judge which one to uproot prematurely would risk losing some of the good harvest. Our first instinct with this parable is to kind of map wheat are the good people and the weeds are the bad people. And we could look at it that way and maybe what Jesus is saying here is don't rush to judgment. Wait until the harvest that we can't know the fullness of who each other are. The fullness of our weediness, our weediness. Until our fruit is revealed. But another way we could see the weed and the weeds is as a depiction of our world as a whole, where good and evil intermingle, and where oftentimes it's hard to tell the difference. We could also see the field of wheat and weeds as a depiction of our innermost selves, 
where both good and evil coexist. And perhaps because we're in this time when a reality of racism is writ so large, and many of us are doing a lot of soul searching around the personal and communal impact of racism and our participation in that, where we are in that, I'm finding I'm all in on this idea of looking at this parable as a sense of, of looking at my own internal field of wheat and weeds. I'm listening to more black voices than I have in decades. And I'm embarrassed that I just sort of thought, you know, that was done. Did that in my 20s. Grew up with that. Don't need it now. I'm discovering ways I've tried to cling to ideas that have blocked me from learning from my sacred siblings. Ideas that, you know, I've got this. And sometimes it's been hard recently to admit some simple things that I've sometimes settled into thinking that the civil rights movement really put an end to the worst of systemic racism, when in fact it totally didn't. I'm seeing weeds in me and around me that I didn't, wasn't even aware were there. And they're weeds that have benefited me. I think about our first home, the first home my husband and I bought, it was in a neighborhood built in the 1940s for GIs. And they were built inexpensively for GIs to be able to buy them on the GI bill. And many of our neighbors were still original owners back then. They were elderly couples of the World War II era. A lot of the men were vets. But I never really noticed, like stepped out and noticed that all these neighbors, these original owners were white. And I only just recently learned that the vast majority of black veterans, of which there were many, were pretty much excluded from GI Bill benefits of super low interest mortgages, of super subsidized educations. And then as I poked into this whole picture of our first home, I was horrified to discover maps of redlining all the way through the San Francisco Bay Area, which kept most of the region, so much of the region, segregated. So my first home, a weed I've now discovered in a whole new way, was a legacy of both segregation and economic blockade. So weed and weeds in our world and in our hearts. And without making too much nice-nice out of this, I do find some comfort in knowing that all of this, all the weeds and the wheat, were, were all rooted in sacred soil. And I actually find comfort that in the end of times, when the harvest comes, the evil will be stripped away. This doesn't mean in the meantime that we get to be passive, just waiting for the end of time for everything to be set right. We're created to grow. We're created to bear fruits of the Spirit. And we're created, if we think about this, to have our roots push up against the weedy roots of our hearts and in the world. The sacred, sacredness of the wheat to push up against cruelty and intolerance and greed and grief and hatred. 
We are to feed on the sacred, loving soil of the field. And the fruit of the spirit that we're called to bear and grow into as we feed on this, it's the fruit of love, joy, peace, the fruit of patience, kindness, goodness, of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the judgment, that's not our job. It's the job for the harvester. We want to weed the garden and often with instincts like right away, got to get rid of this. But the gardener's saying, wait, grow and watch. You are in my field. So just breathe. Know that I am feeding you while you're in these weeds. Look for where I am around you, but don't be me. Don't play God. Judgment is God's job. And in the end, the promise in scripture is that all will be made right for the entire field. All will be made right for the collective good of humankind. The goal is the good fruit. And yes, there will be judgment. But judgment is essentially the bringing of justice. So yes, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth because justice denied in the words of one scholar, will give rage that burn, give way to rage that burns like a furnace of fire. So divine justice, divine judgment. I could be a whole other sermon. I won't keep you here another 10, 15 minutes. But the judgment, just like the field itself, is so worth wrestling with. Uh, theologian Ver Verna Dozier calls the Bible a theological book of wrestlings, not a book of answers. So this morning and in the weeks to come, as we look at more of these parables about the kingdom from Matthew, let's go forth and wrestle. Let's wrestle today with the story of weed and weeds and the story of God's kingdom Let's wrestle with what does it mean for good and evil to coexist in our hearts and in the world? What does it mean for judgment, ultimate judgment, to be rendered at harvest time? As Jesus said, listen. As we wrestle with this and are uncomfortable, let's listen to what this story and all Jesus' story tell us about the kingdom of heaven, about the reign of God. So I ask this morning for God's blessing on our listening and on our wrestling this day and always. Amen.